Lord Jesus, uh, we pray now to you as our good shepherd that your goodness and mercy will meet us in your word and that it will strengthen us uh, indeed for the journey home. Uh, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. Uh, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that this term on the whole, we've been looking at the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to take a pause for now at least. And in the run up to Christmas, uh, turn our attention to, well, to Christmas, the first Christmas. So if you've got a Bible, could you turn to Luke's Gospel and chapter one? So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, chapter one. And children, we're going to read about the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Luke 1 verse 26. Let's hear uh, the word of the good shepherd. Luke 1 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, engaged children, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the virgin, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Three weeks until Christmas, three Sunday services at least, uh, until Christmas. And I want to focus on three neglected characters of the Nativity. I think in previous years in, in Advent and the run-up, we've looked at Mary and Joseph. We've looked at the shepherds, the wise men, perhaps even the angels. We've yet to look at Herod. That'll be a good one one year. We'll come back to that another year. But there's three characters that almost never appear in a children's nativity. In fact, two of them I've never seen, ever. One makes an appearance, but uh, in a somewhat secondary way. Uh, those characters, if I can put it that way, are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've yet to see a nativity where a child comes dressed as the Holy Spirit, whatever that would look like. And that is a good thing. If, you, if you're organising this afternoon's nativity, please don't <laughs> go home from this and try and get someone dressed up as a Father, someone as a Son, and someone as the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, um, albeit that sometimes Mary and Joseph drag a little kind of plastic baby down the, down the aisle to sort of drop in the manger at the front, that the Trinity can often be somewhat in the back of our minds at Trinity. We focus on the cute characters we can see. 
And it's very easy to take your mind off the God who is at work behind the scenes. This morning, I want to think particularly about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit's role in Christmas, uh, that first Christmas? Uh, It is absolutely crucial, absolutely central. And yet it's a subject, I confess, I I just hadn't stopped and thought about much uh, before. So this week, we'll think about the Spirit. And then the next two weeks, unsurprisingly, we'll think about Father and Son. Uh, so let's dive in. And first of all, think about the gift from the Spirit. Children, that's the first thing we're thinking about this morning. A gift from the Spirit. Uh, we're not going to go all the way through the, the passage. We're thinking a bit more topically these three weeks. But let's just set the scene. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth, who's one of Mary's relatives, being pregnant. She's going to be the mother of John the Baptist. And Gabriel, who seems to be an angel, who is one of the chief spokesmen for God, appears to Mary. Uh, she is understandably terrified. In our nativities, angels tend to be the girls, don't they? The cute girls, the little kind of plaits and bobs, and they look sweet and wear tinsel. Every time someone meets someone in, an, in the Bible, they fall on the floor in terror. Now, that might be how you react to cute toddlers. Um, but, 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 but angels in the Bible are, are not really very sweet. They are these kind of magnificent, mighty beings. But Mary's told not to be afraid. Down there, verse 29 or 28. Uh, Do not be afraid because you found favour with God. And clearly in what is presumably the most famous story uh, ever told, true story, of course, uh, it is announced to her that she's going to be the mother uh, of Jesus. But there is a problem, children. I expect you saw what the problem was. Uh, The problem is that Mary isn't married, children. Okay, so she's, she says, I'm a virgin, means I don't have a husband. So how can I have a child? And that is where our focus is going to be uh, this morning, particularly uh, verses 34 and 35. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be called Holy. Jesus has no earthly father. Joseph is his adopted father. Okay, and that is a true father. Okay, when we're adopted into families, we're as much part of the family as if we were biologically part of the family. But still, the fact remains, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. Uh, therefore, okay, for the, you know, as we, we can remember from Jesus' biology at least, uh, there is a problem. How is Mary going to get pregnant? How is this child to be born? And the answer comes fairly obviously through the work of the Holy Spirit. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The virgin birth, or rather the virgin conception, really, uh, comes through the work, the mysterious, powerful, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be clear here. We're not saying that the Holy Spirit is the father of Jesus. Okay, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus' father. So, my children, my mum's called Jen, and my, my dad's called Michael, and I am, I guess, about 50% made up of Jen and 50% made up of Michael. Okay, you could work out my chromosomes or whatever it is and work out that I'm related to, to both of them. I'm sort of half and half, roughly. Whenever I say anything scientific, there's always someone with a PhD afterwards who comes up after and says, actually, it doesn't quite well. You get the idea. Roughly 50-50. That is not the case with Jesus. He is not half Holy Spirit and half Mary. That, that would make him some sort of 
third thing, not quite fully human and not quite fully God. Again, John, I wonder if you've seen these animals. That sometimes you get this mixture of two animals. So if you marry, a, not marry, <laughs> if you marry a zebra to a horse, okay, and a lovely zebra. If a horse and a zebra have children, <laughs> married first, of course, then um, what, what do you get? You get a zorse, okay, a real animal, a zorse. Okay, it's a sort of hybrid. It's not a horse, not a zebra. It's a zorse. Lion and tiger, you get a liger. Uh, on you can go with these weird and wonderful creatures. Okay, that is not how we should think of the, of the conception of Jesus. He's not half man, half God. No, the work of the Holy Spirit here is to make Jesus fully human, even without a human father. So this isn't the answer to the question, how can Jesus be God and man? Okay, the work of the Holy Spirit isn't the answer to that question. In future weeks, we'll think and focus about the Son, how the Son came down and became incarnate. Son came down and took on flesh. But that's not our focus today. That's true. It's not our focus today. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit to supply, if you like, the God bit, if I can put it crudely. No, the focus is on him creating real humanity for God the Son. Uh, His work is in the darkness, obviously. It goes on in the womb of Mary. We don't know all the details. And there's a danger of of treading too far, tiptoeing too far into the darkness. And so I need to be careful what I say uh, this morning. Often the Holy Spirit's work is mysterious and unseen. It takes the word of God to come and explain it. That indeed is what's going on here, isn't it? Uh, The word of God comes from Gabriel or through Gabriel, the angel, to explain to Mary the mysterious work that is going to happen. Very often in the Bible, that is the pattern. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and all sorts of strange things happen, everyone's confused until the word of God comes through Peter the Apostle to explain what happens. Word and Spirit go together. Uh, the word explaining the work of the Spirit. So we can't, ex- we can't fully understand what is happening. And yet we might tentatively say a couple of things, just so we're clear what, what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is clearly supplying, creating something that was lacking Because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Uh, He's also, uh, alongside that kind of creating, he is, we might tentatively say, cleansing what comes from Mary. This is a child from Mary. Imagine you could put a a forensic scientist in a time machine and shoot him back 2,000 years uh, to Nazareth. And he was to collect one of Mary's hairs and one of Jesus' hairs he would be able to work out they are related. So, so the, the human born from Mary's womb is just as much Mary's son as you are the son or daughter of your own mother. Mary is genuinely Jesus' mother. She's not just sort of an incubator or a surrogate mom. She is his real mother. That, of course, could cause a problem because Mary, like all of us, is corrupted by sin. None of us are naturally pure. And so somehow, alongside creating what is lacking by not having a human father, somehow the Holy Spirit makes sure that none of Mary's sin, as it were, is transmitted to her child. Do you see how the emphasis falls in verse 35? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, this child, for the first time since Adam in the Garden of Eden, this child will be holy. There'll be no sin in him. He'll be a real human being with a real human mind, soul, spirit, body, emotions. Everything that's true of human beings is true of this baby. But he alone is going to be holy without the, the taint of sin. That is presumably one of the reasons why Jesus comes in an unusual way into the world. Um, he is one of us. So he's born of Mary. He's part of the same human race as us. It's not that God starts again with a new human race, totally separate from us. No, he comes and takes on our flesh. He has DNA shared by a whole bunch of people in the Middle East in his day. But at the same time, he is more than that. The link with Adam and the sort of sinful line that comes from him, all the rest of us, is broken. He is both one of us and also at the same time, a fresh start, a new one, a holy man. Now, I know we're doing some, some digging um, this morning. Okay? This is quite so sort of deep in, in, in one sense. That, that is a good thing. Let me just say that by way of um, kind of sidebar, as it were. Um, lots of us study subjects to incredible depth. We're, we're like we're world experts on thermodynamics and Russian vocab and the novels of Jane Austen or whatever it may be. And then when it comes to our faith, we're kind of preschool level. Now, we're not saved by knowledge, obviously. But it's a good thing to think deeply, which is what we'll be doing this morning. That's why we're doing a bit of a deep dive. So here is the Holy Spirit's work to create a holy man who will be born. And that is really significant. Jesus, for the first time since Adam, is going to be a worthy temple for the Holy Spirit. He's able to have the Holy Spirit dwell in him. That is actually picked up subtly in our text um, if you look down at verse 35, it's quite hard to see in the dark. Here. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That overshadow word uh, comes up a number of times in the Bible. And in every occasion except one, I think, it is about the, the cloud of God's glory coming down and settling on something. So think about the Exodus. Remember the Exodus has the fiery, cloudy pillar? Well, when that fiery, cloudy pillar comes and settles on the tabernacle, later in the temple, the word is the overshadowing word. Later on in Jesus' life, when he goes up the mountain for the transfiguration and he goes shiny bright and, and the cloud overshadows the mountain, again, it's the same word. Now, what's the significance well, Gabriel is saying to Mary, what is going to happen to you is what happens to the tabernacle or the temple. The Holy Spirit, who ultimately was the one symbolized by the cloud. The Holy Spirit is going to come and, and dwell over you. And what is created within you, therefore, is going to be, well, a man who is a true temple, a true tabernacle. In fact, John's gospel begins you know in the beginning was the word the word was with god it goes on to say the word dwelt among us literally the word is tabernacled among us jesus is the true tabernacle the one who can truly bear god's presence carry god's presence around not just because he is god although that is true but also because he's a worthy vehicle for the holy spirit a worthy home 
Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you'll know that the temple, the great place where God and man were meant to be able to meet, that the temple, well, the temple ends up being a bit of a disaster. Ezekiel has this great vision, one of the last prophets in the Old Testament, has this great vision where the cloud leaves, where God departs, and as if he's gone and he never comes back. At one stage, they rebuild the temple, but it's not quite as good. And, and the cloud, the, the presence of God, symbolized by this, this glory cloud, a picture of the Holy Spirit, never returns until now. This is the return of God to his temple. But the temple now isn't bricks and mortar. It is a person, Jesus. And so for the rest of his life, Jesus lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, a true man, that's our focus today. I know he's God as well, but a true man. We mustn't use the fact that he's God to undermine his real humanity. He is as human as you and me, just without sin. So if you're in Luke's gospel, flick over the page uh, to chapter three. Uh, what do you see? Chapter three and verse 21, the baptism of Jesus. He's now grown up children. He's about 30 years old, we're told. And verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, but then filled even more somehow at his baptism. And the Spirit straight away goes to work. From that baptism, you'll see we go straight into a genealogy. It's like a family tree of Jesus that traces him right back to Adam. If you look at the last verse of chapter three, you see that ultimately up the great, 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 great grandfather generations, Jesus is the son of Adam. The point in here is a new human being, okay, a new start. Matthew's gospel traces Jesus back to David and Abraham, the kind of Jewish lineage. But Luke is saying, no, we can go back even further. Here's a real man, a real start. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Chapter four, verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led, driven out by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 years to be tested, 40 days, sorry, to be tested by the devil. You might know the story. The devil comes and tries to make this new Adam topple over, fall, just like he made the first Adam fall. There are similarities between how he tempts Jesus, the new Adam. And how he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember what, what did Satan try and get Adam and Eve? The snake try and get Adam and Eve to do in the garden? To take the fruits, didn't he? Take this food which was off limits. What does Satan say to Jesus? Turn those stones into bread. Take food that has been denied you. In the garden, Satan said to Adam and Eve, take the food, you won't die, you will not surely die, you'll be fine. Just take the fruit of the knowledge of, tree, of the, true, uh, the tree of good and evil. What does Satan say to Jesus? Oh, throw yourself off a high building, you won't die. In the garden, Satan said to Adam and Eve, eat, take the fruit, and you'll be like God, you'll be glorious. What does Satan say to Jesus? Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You'll be glorious if you go my way rather than God's way, which is going to lead you to a cross and execution. There are similarities between the temptations. But of course, the big difference is this Adam stays strong. Why? Because he's full of the spirit. Jesus defeats temptation, sin, the devil, not because he's God and he just sort of flicks Satan across the universe, but because he is a true man full of the spirit 
a holy man. And so at the end of the temptations, chapter 4 and verse 14, again we get talk about the Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The gift from the Holy Spirit, the first Christmas, is a true holy man. The gift of the Spirit to the world. Without the Holy Spirit, we, we could say the work of Christ would be impossible. Because to be a true human being is to be filled with and rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. And so even at this stage, we ought to be thankful for him. Without his work, there is no Christmas. And if there's no Christmas, there's no Easter. If there's no Easter, well, there's no rescue. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation. The Holy Spirit is integral to the first Christmas. No cradle, then no cross. We see too the Holy Spirit is as much involved in your salvation as the Father and the Son. Often he's the kind of offstage character, isn't he? We don't think about him as much, don't talk about him as much. Because his name maybe is less personal, Father, we understand what fathers are, Son, we understand what sons are. The Holy Spirit, it just can sound a bit weird. We start thinking of him as an it, some sort of force, or, and he can just sort of go off stage a little bit. But he desires your salvation. He desires your rescue as much as the Father and the Son. The Father loves you and sent the Son into the world. The Son loves you and came into the world. The Spirit loves you and enabled Christ to be born a holy man. And of course, if Jesus had to live his life in reliance on the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to? So that moves us to our second, our final point, really. The first Christmas tells us about the gift from the Spirit, but we need to think too about the gift of the Spirit. How can we have a Spirit-filled life? If Jesus did, how can it be true for us too, especially as we know we're not holy like him? We're not pure. Well, the story of Jesus and the Spirit goes on. Let's think of the gift of the Spirit, secondly. And finally, we've thought about the gift from the Spirit, now the gift of the Spirit. Jesus, as we've seen, lives his whole life in the power of the Spirit. If we had time, we could see that uh, at times even his miracles are attributed to the Holy Spirit rather than to his divinity, at times at least. And again, if you're still in Luke's Gospel, just after the temptations and the work of the Spirit there, uh, Jesus goes to Nazareth, goes to the synagogue, and you see chapter 4, he, he reads part of Isaiah. You see the bit, children, that, that is written like a, like a poem, I guess. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good, proclaim good news to the poor. Throughout the Old Testament, there were three types of people who were anointed, that is, had oil poured on their head to mark them out for special roles in God's kingdom. There were prophets who spoke the word of God, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, those kind of people. There were priests who did the sacrifices and led the worship. And there were kings, David, Solomon, kings who led God's people. They were usually different people. So it wasn't often that you were a prophet and a priest, although it happened sometimes. And it was never that you were a prophet and a priest and a king. But Jesus is all three. And although he never has oil poured on his head, he says, as he preaches from this part of Isaiah, that it is the spirit that has anointed him. Anoint in Greek is, is the word Christ. So when we say Jesus is the Christ, we mean he's the anointed one. It's the same word in Hebrew, Messiah. Christ, Messiah, 
anointed. Same word, three different languages. In other words, the spirit has made me a prophet, a priest and a king, says Jesus. It's no longer just the picture of oil, but the reality of the spirit uh, that is going to enable me to do this work. And the work is that of rescuing to be the prophet, the priest and king. They're rescuing roles. Again, we've hardly got any time to sort of explore all the different avenues, of course. But if we were to fast forward to the cross, we would read in the book of Hebrews uh, this. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, and here's the crucial bit, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience. When Jesus goes to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for sins, the author of Hebrews says he does it through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his constant companion, keeping him holy all the days of his life and strengthening him so that he can even go through the ordeal of the cross in order to rescue us. Christ offers himself through the Spirit. And the result? Well, the result is our forgiveness, isn't it? Uh, the result is that you are declared not guilty, as we've thought about over the last few weeks. The result is you can be children of God. Again, the Holy Spirit central to your salvation. That means, too, because Christ has paid for all your sin once you've trusted him, it means that he has won for you the right to become little temples of the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit poured into your hearts. By rights, the Holy Spirit, God himself, shouldn't be able to come and dwell in us. But because Christ has paid for your sin and cleansed you, well, then the Holy Spirit can, as it were, move in. He can return to his temple. And that's why in the New Testament, the temple that is spoken of is the church, the people of God. Once there's a bit of a sort of side point, it's you as an individual, your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. But really, the main idea is corporate. The Holy Spirit can dwell in his people because they're cleansed by the cross. And so one last passage. I'm sorry for jumping around a lot this morning, but when you sort of think about things topically, it tends to be the way. Just turn on from Luke to Acts. It's the second book written by Luke. Luke is um, a two-parter, and the second part is called Acts. Acts, and right at the beginning, chapter 2. Jesus has died as Acts begins. He's gone up to heaven. And then something happens, children. Just, just listen to this. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that's the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus goes back to heaven. What happens? The Holy Spirit, the glory cloud that descended on the temple in the old days or the tabernacle, descends on people this time. You get the same phenomena, you know, the same things, the, the rushing wind, the fire. But this time it comes down not to fill a building, but to fill people. It is a picture, as is explained, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus enables us to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
We think of the cross as the place of forgiveness, and that's true. The place where we're made friends with God again, and that is true. The place where we're cleansed, and that is true. But it was at the cross, Jesus also won for you the right to the gift of the Spirit. That is part of why he came. And so when Peter preaches and explains what's gone on, again, he needed the word to explain the work of the Spirit, these strange foreign languages and strange rushing wind and fire and all the rest of it. When he preaches... He says, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having been received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you ourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus has gone to heaven. He's full of the Spirit. He's been even more filled with the Spirit as he goes to heaven. And now he's poured out the Spirit on his church. At Christmas, the Holy Spirit gives us Jesus. At Pentecost, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. In fact, we can go further than that. We can say the reason, one of the reasons at least, that the Holy Spirit gave us Jesus at Christmas is so that Jesus would be able, make it possible for him to give us the Spirit at Pentecost. That is one of the purposes of Christ's coming. We need this gift of the Spirit Yes, we need the forgiveness of sins, but we also need the gift of the Spirit. And Jesus is, if you like, the reservoir from which the Spirit flows. John says he is given the Spirit without measure. In fact, John the Baptist says that the reason Jesus has come is to baptise you with the Spirit. He doesn't really talk about forgiveness. He says it's to fill you, baptise you with the Spirit that he's come. So let me ask you, how much do you value the gift of the Spirit Um, Do you pray for the gift of the Spirit? Now, there are some strange theologies that say that um, there's a sort of second blessing that comes. You you can be a Christian and sort of have the Spirit in an ordinary way, and then there's a second blessing, there's an upgrade you can have. I don't think that's true at all. All Christians receive the Holy Spirit when they trust in Jesus. Just as Mary wouldn't have sort of sensed the work of the Holy Spirit in her womb, but needed the word of God to come. And tell her that is what's going on. Well, so too, we often won't sort of magically sense the work of the Spirit in our hearts. But the Word of God tells us when we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit will already have been at work in us. But even if we reject this idea of there being a kind of second blessing, a second stage, we shouldn't reject the idea that we're meant to seek the Spirit more and more. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. And it's kind of ongoing be filled. You should seek to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He expects Christians to be asking for the Spirit. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If the Spirit is the source of all life, all goodness, all wisdom, all power, you will lack all those things at all sorts of time in your life. And the good news of Christmas is that because the Spirit gave us Jesus in order that Jesus could give us the Spirit, all those things are available to you. Jesus has them all and will give them to you by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who unites, connects you to Jesus. It's a crude illustration, but if you like, here's the the pipe that connects the two of you together so that all Jesus' wisdom and goodness and power can flow to you. That means you don't need to find those things in yourself. If you're exhausted as a Christian at the moment and struggling, the answer is not to look inside yourself, but to come to Jesus and say, I need the power of your spirit. Help me. 
If sin is overwhelming you, the answer is not to look inside and try harder, but to go to Christ and say, I cannot do this, but you can. You've already done it. You've already conquered sin, Satan, death, the devil. Strengthen me by your spirit. If the car battery goes flat, there's nothing inside the car that can sort that out, is it? You have to go outside the car, find power somewhere else. Well, so too the Christian life. The power is not in us, but in Christ. And it is the spirit who connects us to Christ. Uh, You lack nothing if you're a Christian. There is no gift not available to you uh, that will be withheld. Now, God leads us in strange paths home. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes we weep. Sometimes we laugh. But he does not withhold the gifts his children need. That's the point of Jesus' little parable, isn't it? If you, he says, that you're evil, know how to give good gifts. Children, this Christmas, in fact, last Christmas, look back. Have you ever opened a box sitting under the Christmas tree and found inside there was a scorpion okay, or a crocodile or a tarantula? Of course not. I imagine not. Because your parents love you. They want to give you good gifts. Also, so Jesus, your, your father knows how to good gifts. And so if you ask him, he'll give you. And then he doesn't say good gifts. He says the Holy Spirit. Because that is the best gift he can give. The Holy Spirit was sent us Jesus. So Jesus could send you the Holy Spirit and give you all the resources you need for life. The Holy Spirit is a key character at Christmas. And so he's just as much to be praised, just as much to be thanked. And he is to be sought, prayed for. And relied on uh, all the days of your life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that our salvation is all outside of us. It sits not in our own hands, but in the work of our great God. In you, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to you in Jesus' name, in his holiness, in the righteousness of the one man who had the right to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you that... Uh, you might fill us like you filled him more and more with your spirit. And might he give us power uh, to keep walking in Jesus' footsteps. Might he give us reliance and prayerfulness. Might he give us humility. Uh, Might he reveal to us more and more, open our eyes uh, to the depths of your love. Uh, We want to rely on you and not ourselves. So empower us this Christmas and give us the greatest gift again, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.